Welcome to the Matthew Dark Show, where hypocrisy meets accountability. Sit back and enjoy, or call in and get involved. Ladies and gentlemen, it's showtime. Now here's your host. Take it away, Matthew. Holy cow. Welcome in, folks. It is so good to be with you this Thursday, February the 2nd. Yeah, 2-2. Wow, 2 <laughs> Last year, a year ago, would have been 2222, but this one gets us into 2023. We are alive and well here in February. We have so much to get to. Let me just pray us in, and then we will get right at to it. This Heavenly Father, we just ask you to come in. We're, we're going to have an amazing guest, and we just ask that you you bless him and that you are his words they honor you and they allow freedom for people that have been hurt and harmed through covid we are so thankful to have uh, one of your children of god here with us today because there is so much relief needed there is so much recompense needed there is no much so much freeing needed and we know they can get that through your words today glorifying you in your honor we say it in the heavenly name the precious name of jesus amen, amen. welcome in and thank you now shimei i must come back to shimei for a second if you've yeah. not been on this web Website. This website is something else, folks. This is a, a cutting edge. Everything you need, the podcast, the philosophies, the bios, where you can get all of the stuff that we've done here since we just came on these airwaves at the end of October. And so here we are now with the website at a chance to start your morning with bravery. You can sign up right near for their, our mailer. One thing that might be confusing, folks, text BRAVE yes. to the text line 720 720- Seven, excuse me, seven two zero nine 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 four nine three. That gets you engaged with the show. So Brian Ward is going to join us from Florida here in just a little bit, and he is. I want our listeners to go to covidpenalty.com as well. You'll just go right in there, covidpenalty.com. You will read, and then there's a there's a section to read on everything he's going to cover today. But folks, this is your way to recompense. So many people. This is what this scenario happened a thousand times. I know this happened all over the country where company XYZ hospital XYZ says we're going to do the vaccine. And if you don't get the vaccine, we will consider this your resignation. How many of you had that experience? How many of you had the experience of, well, you're not going to this event without a vaccine? Your child is not playing in this sport without a vaccine. See, the powers that be that thought they had the right to do this. How dare you? There was law. We're going to go back to 19, really 74 through 79, in which Congress put in this law deals with two things, the Belmont report and the common rule. Now, Brian is going to come in here and, and, and wow us, blow us away with this level of, I think I have a case. I think I know exactly what you're saying. My employer told me two years ago. That if I wanted that promotion, I would get the vaccine. If I wanted to keep my health insurance with the company, I would get that vaccine. If I got the vaccine, I was eligible for X, Y, Z and the other folks. All of it was illegal. All of it will be explained. But you need to connect with the show and then you need to connect with the friends of the show. So that's covidpenalty.com and then the MatthewDarkShow.com. That is a live and roaring website. Um, the other thing too I need to mention, we have a blog uh, on the KLZ radio app. Uh, website or app you can get access to it but we wrote about this we'll have a blog every two weeks from the matthew dark show it'll be some sponsor stuff it'll be some what's on the heart stuff but remember to check that out we'll get it i'm sure linked connected somehow to the website so we can have that literature there too but just so you know that's a newer thing here klz we will absolutely um we're just going to get as much opinion options 
research, education, our whole thing is just if we're not impactful for the community, get off the airways. Yeah. Okay? Be impactful. Well, and to do the text message, something that needs to be reminded, you can't just text that number, 720-999-9493. You have to text BRAVE. First, you opt in, to right? Opt in. Okay. Yes. So you're texting Brave. You want in. Now, once you do that, folks, you are up and going. A question. Hey, what was that resource? Maybe you have a comment or a question. Hey, maybe you have a question for our guest. Doesn't matter. And then once we have our sponsors um, sort of in line with this program, you will be blasted specials, discounts that are only available to the text line. So I know we're going to have some uh, uh, sort of a new, fresh round of sponsors coming through here uh, over the course of the next month or so. So you just want to get connected with the show because this is all the stuff you need. We're not saying we're so smart. We're saying we're at, we're connecting ourselves to people that are very smart. Yeah. And we want to bring that to you. We're the mouthpiece. Um, yeah, we're this mouthpiece. Okay. <laughs> and we just set up these interviews. We just set up these things. God's given us these airwaves. We're asking that he, he freshen the soil. Uh, we come in with, we're throwing seed out there. We're sowing seed out there. And whether it is... Pastor Marty Grisham, whether it's Dr. Michael Gaeta or Brian Ward today, these are all impactful things that should allow you a path to righteousness, mm-hmm. a path to justice, a path to uh, holding those to account. I'm so excited for you to hear the Cominardi stuff. Most people have no idea what Cominardi is. Cominardi. It's the Pfizer <laughs> vaccine that is fully licensed. Cominardi. So it's COVID plus mRNA plus community. That's what Pfizer has done to make this a, a, a word. It doesn't seem to make very much sense, that word. That one's fully licensed. The Pfizer BioNTech, the one that everybody gets, that is not fully licensed. That is still under emergency use authorization. Wow. I don't think most people understand this concept. No, they don't. And it's no, through no fault of their own. It was deceit. It was manipulation. Um, in fact, when they approved Comirnaty and... It was almost a simultaneous, you had approval of Cominati, and then you also had this um, emergency use authorization for the Pfizer BioNTech. That is the subject matter at hand for this morning. That is the one that's going to bring them to their knees when legal Armageddon starts in this state. And so I'm so proud. Again, we've we've asked the powers that be, Governor Polis, Attorney General Phil Weiser, we want to give them an opportunity to respond to these egregious, off-the-charts violations of law. Congress gave no such authority for medical boards, governors, and all these things to say, if you don't get this shot, your life is over. They never had that authority. They're just thinking they won't be held to account. So we're going to have Brian Ward here in just a minute. Um, you'll text in. You'll visit the show. So get covidpenalty.com up and going, and then we will be there. Um, another thing, too. Yeah, we're just looking over here. There is the bill for Brandy Bradley next week, next Tuesday. Yes. Okay, we must be in attendance. We must be strong. We must be alive and well there. What that's going to do is we're going to provide testimony. This is in-person testimony to the Health Committee for Mm -hmm. State Legislation. Um, and, and And Brandy Bradley wants to sign into law something that would state that a minor, persons under 18, would need parental consent before they dare take a COVID jab, a genocide jab, as we heard yesterday with Dr. Michael Gatta. This thing is too dangerous. We don't let our children smoke under 18. We don't let our children get tattoos under 18. We don't let our children get uh, have alcohol under 18. We don't do any of this stuff under. This shot absolutely belongs in that category. So that is Tuesday, February the 7th. Um, 
you you can go to the state website and and do that but you can also email the show if you need a direct link on how to sign up just email the show text the show yeah. we'll get you signed up got to be there right i'll even put a, a light box that when you come to our website will pop up and and connect you with some information okay. let's do that okay that's that totally live. great we, we we need we need you there we need to send a message that our minors our children are in no capacity yeah. of the uh, sense They've not read the COVID penalty reports. They've not read all the Pfizer. Uh, they've not read the VAERS data. Our children can ma- not make this decision on their and, own. And we'll provide you with talking points because, I mean, there are groups yeah. that have talking points on what you can say, mm-hmm. resources, uh, links to go look to. Um, public comments, not hard, guys. It's just two to three minutes. You can read exactly what you write down. Um, and, and just being there, nodding your head is even helpful yes. so that the, the, the yes. people in authority can see that. We're watching. We, 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 one thing that the darkness hates is light and eyeballs on it and, mm-hmm. and holding to account. They don't like it. They don't want to do it. Uh, so without further ado, I want to welcome in. Now, this is our, our guest of the day, and this is an impactful hour, folks. So I really, really appreciate him making the time, setting aside the time. Brian Ward out of Florida. Now, this is COVIDPenalty.com. Um, now, Brian has had 30 years in business, 30 years in contract review, research, implementation, innovator, strategy, consultation. And God called him to pursue this level of legal avenue for, for, for the excellence of the people, so that for the restoring of the United States. Because what's happened to our servicemen, what's happened to our average unknowing person is a crime against humanity. Mm-hmm. And so we just thank him. Brian Ward, welcome in. Matthew Dark Show. Shemaine Navarro, you're with us here in Denver, sir. Welcome in. How are you this morning? Well, I'm doing great. I would have to um, not lie to you, even though I'm living on the beaches in Florida. I think I'd rather be in Colorado looking at your mountains right now. Well, we're just staring out a window. We, yeah. of course, broadcast uh, from the 12th floor here in the Mile High City. They are stunning. They are uh, vibrant this morning. So we are. God is good. God is beautiful in this landscape. But I don't know. I'd probably do a beach. We've been. Thought, I would so do a we've beach. We've probably been under 30 degrees, 20 degrees for a month pushing, I would take a little something uh, there. So I'm glad you are well, Brian. <laughs> now, here's where I want to really get our uh, our listeners understanding. Um, how did you even begin the process of unearthing this avenue of law uh, that very well may be the key to recompense for so many millions of America? Just give us a little, how did you get started? And then let's get into the meats and guts of this thing. Well, um, as a result of my background, which is in corporate strategy, uh, back in October of 21, a number of officers across several branches of the military reached out to me and said, Brian, could you research this for us? Um, they were my friends, and so I decided to do it. And to be honest with you, I thought after about two or three hours into it, I realized there was nothing I could do to help. However, by the end of that evening, I saw a section of law that no one was discussing. And once I got about 50 hours into it, I realized there was an entire body of law that is completely unknown to the legal community. And those laws deal with bioethics and clinical research. And those were the laws that were actually um, uh, part of this entire process. And, and probably the reason I discovered them, not because of, I'm not a licensed attorney, is because I'm not a licensed attorney. Right. It's because I, I started looking at keywords, and so the key word was when I went to the first EUA letter that was issued by Pfizer, they told uh, Pfizer, the FDA, that they had to submit to the investigation of their drug process. 
And I said, well, that IND, that sounds like a classification. What is that? Listen, I knew nothing when I started, okay? And so uh, I looked up IND, and it says it's a drug or biologic used in clinical research. And I said, well, what is clinical research? And so that's the process I went through. And then when I got into uh, 45 CFR 46, which is the protection of human subjects, the entire world opened up to me. Mm. Uh, There was all of these articles and essays and thesis written. And although there was a complete blackout, um, there were no books on theirs. There are no educational college courses you could take on the, these, this area of law. And the reason is, Matt, is because there's no money to be made in this area of law. Right. Uh, this, but this has been, these laws have been regulated by federal agencies and uh, within the industry, self-governance. And up until this uh, current administration, what has was taken place now has never taken place before. So there was no reason for an attorney to even have an understanding of these laws. Right. So that's how I got into it, and um, I have probably put in well over 1,200 hours now uh, into the research and feel like I have a really, really strong understanding of uh, the entirety of our right to refuse. One of the one of the huge misconceptions I think for the public is they they are being offered and taking an emergency use use authorized drug. They're, these are all still experiments, all INDs, all still a part of medical research in which they are the subject. I'm wondering if you can outline because the the scenario we'll get into of coercion and unjust influence and all these outside pressures to participate in this. The laws were actually written, erring on 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 and tremendously on the subject side. Um, what are all the things that the person who's being encouraged to participate? What are the what's the environment that must be supplied for you to say, okay, that sounds good to me, I'll try it? Because there's a, the people don't understand this. The, the laws are there to protect them from dangerous medical research, are they not? They are. Um, in fact, uh, just a quick two-minute history, because I think people will uh, help. It helps make the connection when people understand the history to yes. our current laws. Um, you know, prior to 1974, there was virtually no protection for the American people from medical research abuse. So, uh, to give you a couple of under, uh, an ideas, there was a, um, a mental uh, disabled, a mentally disabled um, school for kids in New York City. And the doctor decided to take the extracts from feces of infected with syphilis patients and mm. feed them to the kids to purposely infect them with syphilis mm. wow. um, without their informed consent. Yeah. Um, a doctor in Ohio pulled out 300 female prisoners, injected them with live cancer cells just to see what would happen. <sighs> and so although these are only two examples, I can assure you that it goes upwards of 10,000 events that took place in our history, wow. including the infamous uh, Tuskegee event where yeah. um, 128 men were allowed to die, um, even though there's a cure. So in, so in 1973-74, uh, Senator Edwards held a number of um, live uh, hearings on the research abuse, and they passed the National Research Act in 1974 that led to the Belmont Report in 45 CFR 46 and what is known as institutional review boards. And, and all of those items honestly weren't really codified into law until 1981. So this is all very recent. Yes. Um, so basically, the environment that came out as a result of those events and others is that your legally effective informed consent must be attained in advance of the product administration. 
So what does that mean? It's not just your informed consent. That's the National Research Act changed and, and wrote into law an actual definition of informed consent. And it declares that the institution, it's not just the healthcare provider that is administering the product. That's the other thing people get confused on. It's the institution who's sponsoring the product, which in this case is the federal government. The federal government owns all COVID-19 vaccines. And they require you to sign a contract in order to be able to participate in the process if you're a healthcare worker. So legally effective informed consent puts the burden on the sponsor to ensure that you're not a, uh, under an outside pressure to participate. And that burden, um, they, they literally wrote into law, so it's codified into law, that you can't be under a sanction or coercion or undue influence or unjustifiable pressures is the way it's written. Yes. And the reason is is because they want to make sure that the horrific abuse of human rights that took place in our history that was so um, prevalent that the Nazis used that research as their defense during the Nuremberg trials. Mm. They want to put an end to it. So the problem that we have in our current environment is that when you read Section 564, which is the area of law that the EUA gets its authority from, the only two people who can be involved in the conversation of whether or not you want to participate is you, the individual, and a healthcare practitioner. Those are the only one by Congress. So the secretary can authorize the drug. He can um, uh, determine which state it can be. You know, he could even say, hey, this drug can only be administered in the state of Florida. Mm -hmm. He has that authority. Um, But what he can't do is he can't require anybody to participate in it as it's declared in that law. And the healthcare practitioner, they're required to give you medical counseling. Why? Because this is, by law, these products are, by law, legal, 100% of them, there is no way out of it. They are legally defined as experimental products. And as an experimental product, who knows how, uh, how many different contradictions there might be with your pre-existing medical conditions. So they are required to take in all of those factors into account before they say, I think you should have this. But they may never, ever, ever influence you um, pressure you by threatening to withdraw health services or coercing you or giving you a $500 paycheck if you'll actually take the product. And for most, I mean, this, the scenario you're describing, I can think of millions, and then certainly just within our own community, of that was not the scenario. It was, if you don't, we will consider this your resignation. If you don't do this, we will significantly change your role within our company. That is in direct violation of the laws you just spat out. And and people get caught up in this emergency use. Well, I guess we throw everything out the window. But there's nothing that you've come across in any capacity that under a declared emergency doesn't matter that all the laws or the principles of the Belmont report are thrown out the window. Is I mean, there's no scenario where... Congress said, well, if it gets really bad, make them all subjects. Is that fair? Well, no. Actually, the Supreme Court has ruled many times that an emergency doesn't outlaw laws. Right. Um, So there's significant case law there. But specifically to your point, when Congress wrote Section 564, they chose not to exempt themselves from the common law or the Belmont Report. That's specific. Number two, all all drugs and biologics that are underneath the EUA, they're required to come underneath an institutional review board. And the IRB is specifically to protect your rights, your safety, and your health. 
So here's the problem that we have, is that in Section 564, it requires the secretary to create a scope of authorization. That scope or that authorization is what everybody has to agree to, say the governor of Colorado, okay? Mm -hmm. The governor of Colorado has no authority to amend that scope of authorization. He can only choose to participate or not participate for the state. Those are his only two choices. Yes. So when the state of Colorado came in and said, you must participate in these products, he fraudulently, and and I mean that in a criminal way, okay? Yes. He amended the scope of authorization of which he had no authority, and the courts declared that that action is him unlawfully extended his authority without um, legislature approval. And so they don't have the authority. So what's happened in this pandemic is that the right to choose this product is between you and the health care practitioner. Then a third party, your employer, you know, the government building, your school, a third party unlawfully injected themselves into the conversation of which they had no right to do so, period. Mm. Does not exist by law. So they all engaged in, um, you know, it's not always criminal. I will be honest with you, when it comes to the U.S. government, it is. <clears throat> Could it be criminalized? Yes. Um, but it's more so those who are under what's called action under the color of law. When it comes to your, you know, Joe's car shop, right? Yeah. If you worked for him, then you get into a civil suit where he discriminated against your rights to um, exercise a federally protected right. Most states, including the federal government, um, it's illegal to penalize an employee who exercises a federally protected right. Mm. So, in effect, that's that's where the civil suits will come into play. And listen, there are far too many laws for us to get into today here in this conversation. Yes. So we're just hitting the highlights. No, that sounds that's perfect. And and this is people need to understand for most that there is a way out. There is laws that have been broken, and now it's up to the individual person to start to take some action. Now. <clears throat> When people went to Walgreens, Brian, and they said, I'll take I'll take my COVID shot, they didn't they heard it on the news. They went in there and they said, let's do it. Is there obligation at the pharmacy level or are you giving that consent when you show up and said, this is the thing for me? How does that scenario play out with this context? Okay, so let's go back to the fact that the government owns uh, well, the government purchases 100 percent of all the COVID vaccines and no one else is allowed to purchase it. Okay, so the government is a sponsor. Because they're a sponsor, the federal law declares that the sponsor must certify to the manufacturer that they will obtain the informed consent of all parties involved. The way they, the U.S. government ensures this is that every healthcare practitioner must sign a contract with the Center for Disease Control called the COVID-19 Prefer- Preferred Provider Agreement. In there, on line 12 of the contract, it states to the practitioner that you must abide by all the applicable laws dealing with EUA products. They intentionally withheld all instructions and guidance on it, okay? Mm-hmm. But then they but then they require it, the CDC, the HHS secretary, and the EUA law itself requires that the practitioner, the professional, must give the individual a drug fact insert sheet. Mm-hmm. So that they're required to do this okay. by law. Three different ways. Um, and that fact sheet acts as your informed consent process. So, number one, it's your information. So, in an EUA product, um, 
Well, let me just explain this, because I think this will be helpful for the readers to understand. Okay. The EUA law comes under a section of law titled Expanded Access Protocols. So it is illegal for a company to introduce into commerce a drug biologic or device that has not been approved by the FDA. Um, there are exemptions to that prescribed by Congress, and these are called Expanded Access Protocols. So in these protocols, we have multiple ways. So, for example, say you're stage 4 cancer and you're about to die, and your doctor says, I think this experimental product over here can help. Well, they have to give their written informed consent. It has to be a contract that they sign with a doctor. There's no exemption from that. Um, When you get to EUA, it's oral informed consent, but it's even less than that. It's literally you showing up saying, I want it. Um, okay. But as part as part as the informed part, they're required to give you this drug fact in sheet, and they, they if they don't, CDC has declared that when you the healthcare practitioner or the the company, when you submit an invoice for reimbursement of that shot, you are testifying, you're mm. giving evidence that you have abided by and complied with all of these federal laws and your state laws, and you did in fact get informed consent from the individual. And you gave them this fact sheet, and if you did not, you have committed criminal fraud against the United States government. Wow. So here the government is the sponsor of it. It just seems, how is this going to play out? Because the government ultimately is the one, you know, owns these, pushing these. And now here the pharmacist is now caught. I mean, it's going to be a fascinating sort of incestuous type uh, breakdown. Our guest, Brian Ward from covidpenalty.com. I, all of our readers, all of our listeners, please go and, and, and read that document. It was updated this week. Powerful document. Explains all the things that we're going through this morning. Brian, I, I think the other thing that people must understand and start to get their head around is the situation with the Comirnaty and the Pfizer BioNTech. Can you go through, because this was not uh, on the up and up. This, this was a bait and switch, perceived at least, because some people are under the opinion or, or, or the perception that they're getting an FDA-licensed product, and they're really not. Can, can you go in on the distinction between those two items and the, and the situations that sort of arising with the bait and switch sort of thing? Absolutely, and this is where even lawyers get really caught up, and it's why lawyers don't argue the right to refuse. It's because they don't understand this. <clears throat> and there's a certain aspect that they don't understand is the legal distinctions. So when Cornati was approved in August of 21, the FDA informed America that these two products have legal distinctions. Now, they um, intentionally withheld what those distinctions were because, again, this, these are foreign laws, right? Yeah. These don't show up in court cases every year or decade. <clears throat> well, those legal distinctions, they're known as classifications or categories or classes. Um, and indications. So let me explain. So when the FDA takes a product and it goes through the significant approval process, of which Pfizer, Comirnaty did not do, by the way, but when it goes through the multi-year of trials and they approve it, they they license it for general commercial marketing, and then they give it an indication and usage. So any licensed product that you go buy or prescription, Um, are off the shelf, when you look in the insert sheet, it has indications and usage. So the product is approved for a medical condition based on a number of factors, which could be the age of the person, contradictions, it could be the sex of the person. And if the company, the pharmaceutical, promotes that product outside of those indications, they can be fined and they're committing a felony. For example, 
Pfizer was fined already well over $2 billion for promoting four drugs outside of their indications, which was their approved process. So now when we come to the EUA products, none of these products have what's called legal intent or a legal indication. They're not approved for anything. They're experimental. <laughs> they are defined as a clinical research drug, and they don't have to prove anything. And it's why Pfizer never shipped Comirnaty. So the, the difference in this are, are, is the drug label, okay? The drug labels, they are attached to laws, and those laws govern that product through a regulatory process. To give you an example of this, if you were to walk into a doctor's office and receive the EUA version of Pfizer's COVID vaccine, that doctor is required by federal law to abide and comply with the scope of authorization as discussed for that product. If you were to come in and take Comirnaty, the doctor is under no such requirements, even though they share formulation. Yes. The only difference is the drug label. Now, it's so much more significant than people realize because when you participate in an EUA product, you are doing a couple of things. Number one, you're agreeing, because you're volunteering, okay, mm -hmm. you're agreeing to forfeit certain litigation rights. You are agreeing to participate in a biomedical research project, project, which people can use your body samples and your data collector for research purposes. And you're basically shutting down any avenue uh, of rights to litigation in the future because of this. Um, whereas Comirnaty, the other products, is under a totally different set of laws. So for the lawyers who are listening, this is very important. Yes. It's just a simple question that they all get after I answer the question. If we were to walk into a courtroom and you had a client injured by the product um, and they took the EUA product, but you said because they said that these two products are interchangeable, I'm going to use the laws associated with Comirnaty, the judge would look at you like you're nuts. Right. And he would say, well, did you in fact take BioNTech? And you would say, yeah. He said, well, you can't use the laws associated with that label. You have to use the laws associated with this EUA product label. And yes. this is why... Peter Marks, who is the director of the Center for Biologics Evaluation and Research, known as CBER, they are part of FDA regulatory environment. He testified in court this past year that the reason the FDA issued that notice was to help medical professionals to understand that if they gave a Pfizer shot, that for the second shot, they could give a shot from another manufacturer's product because they, were, they didn't pose a medical problem. And then he said, but there are legal distinctions between an EUA product and a BLA-approved product or licensed product. Okay. So, and this is what I want to make sure we highlight right there. Had they shipped and started administering uh, Cobinati, it would have been immediately pulled from the market because it no yes. longer did what they approved it for. Is that fair? Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, because it was literally, Comirnaty was literally approved for the indication of preventing COVID-19. Yeah. Number two, a licensed product is under a lot more scrutiny for its health and safety consequences than an investigation of a new drug, period. It would have already been pulled, and the state AGs could have already sued Pfizer for fraud. Yes. The, 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 the government, though, FDA, FDA and Pfizer had to be in cahoots to get something like this through to the American people, right? There was, there was a connection there of fraud between the two of them, wasn't it? Yes. And to really, you know, this is why people need to go and read a document, because to actually explain that would take an yeah, hour. Sure. Um, uh, but but the same, I'll just tell you this, the same day that 
the um, that the FDA approved Comirnaty, Sieber asked Pfizer to label some vials that had been already manufactured under EUA protocol to pull to call them back and to label them, even though they didn't physically label them, but to declare that they were BLA compliant drugs. And so what they did is they created this scheme, this fraudulent scheme, to say that because the EUA product had been manufactured in a BLA-approved manufacturing facility, that they considered them essentially, that's in quotes, comernate, even though they were still under an EUA product. And then they sent out what's known as, in the industry, it's called a Dear dear Healthcare Professional Letter. They sent out this DHP to 9 million healthcare professionals, which who's going to read them all, right? Right. And they said, for the purposes of these lot numbers, you're not under EUA requirements. Now, okay. in my opinion, based on my research, I believe that's fraud, and I believe that's criminal fraud, because they don't have agency discretion to declare that. Um, In fact, Judge Windsor um, in Pensacola in a court case, Coker v. Austin, has already declared that you can't approve a licensed product um, that was manufactured before its um, approval date. Mm. And so, um, and and there's actually even more law. It's called the marketing date. So you have the approval date and you have the marketing date. Those are two different dates, actually. So from the time a product is approved, from that time to the time it hits the shelves, it could be months on end, if not years. Um, it depends on the farm. Pharma- it depends on the pharmaceutical company. The FDA does not have a, um, a fast track. Meaning, Comanati obviously did not go through the standard years long um, testing and all this stuff. So, so is the FDA gu- guilty of of approving something like that, regardless of the EUA? What is their responsibility for having approved something like that? I mean, isn't that right there? Um, they used emergency policies to essentially get a fully licensed drug. That to me is like, it's so big what they've done to the American people because they said, okay, well, if they don't buy the, the fully licensed one, we've got the experimental one. The FDA and CDC and Pfizer, am I fair to say they would prefer to keep this going under an emergency youth use authorization for permanently? Or are they trying to get this into fully licensed? Just break that part down a little bit if you would. Well, I'd have to give it to you in bullet points. Okay. Um, so first of all, there is an expedited review process to, to bring a, pr- a product to um, market, okay, mm-hmm. uh, under emergency set of conditions. And that's what they did, um, Operation Warp Speed. Right. However, th- they bypassed so many safety protocols. And just so you know that when you see the um, advertisements um, by these people, particularly FDA, well, and they said Pfizer had like a 93% um, efficacy yeah. rate. What the FDA did is they used the initial release from Pfizer's data of their clinical research. 30 days before FDA approves the vaccine, Pfizer sent them an updated document and said, no, it was closer to 80% efficacy rate, and efficacy was falling 6% every two months. Huh. Now, just so that you'll know, this, their clinical trial was supposed to last for 24 months at a minimum. By the time it got to six months into their program, they had a 93% dropout rate Ugh. of their um, subjects, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the data, there's, there's no real-world data. You know, we now know the real-world data proves that the product doesn't have efficacy um, of any significant magnitude. There's just no way to use that clinical trial to say 
this was legit. Right. So that's number one. <clears throat> number two, uh, federal law declares that this is where employers should really be concerned today. Uh. It's illegal to promote an EUA product as safe and effective. Oh. It's a violation of federal law. Why? Because it hasn't proven anything. Right. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't have that approval by the FDA yet. So it's significant. It's an act of fraud to treat an unlicensed product as if it is a licensed product and to promote it as such. Dang. Um, and that happened everywhere. I mean, everywhere. that was on the, the thing. Radio, the radio, the, the TV, TV, the doctor's office. You could not get away from the words safe and, and effective. effective. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So, and, and, then, and then when it comes to the other part of your discussion, in uh, 21 CFR 312.7, it declares that a pharmaceutical company, once they have sufficient data to approve a marketing application, which means the product then is going to be approved by the FDA, they have to cease these investigational studies, this investigational research. They're supposed to start shipping. And in fact, once an EUA is under an emergency declaration for more than a year, once it reaches 365th day, then they're supposed to have a serious discussion of ending it. And so they have not done it. So, right. you know, they said in the beginning, the excuse they said in the beginning was, well, we have so much inventory and we can't manufacture this stuff that quickly. It's the reason we're not going to ship out our licensed products. Well, here's the problem with that, that excuse. They've changed formulations. Yes. So they had the original formulation, and now they have what's called the trisuclose formulation. Well, the trisuclose formulation was manufactured months after the approval date. So right. they should have been forced by the FDA to start shipping the licensed product in. They will never ship Comirnaty, in my humble opinion, okay. okay, because it's the same formulation, and immediately they're going to start having these conversations taking place that, um, you know, about safety and efficacy. So, and I, and I could just tell you that, I can't say with 100% certainty, but based off of my research and, and conversations that around the world, Pfizer refused to ship even their investigational new drugs in countries that would not provide them with immunity. Wow. We're just That's asking why, folks to just step back and think about this. I mean, these are experiments, and other countries are rejecting yeah. these experiments. Okay, that's great, Brian. Continue. I, let me just make sure everybody understands. Brian Ward, COVIDPenalty.com is our guest. We thank him. We're blowing through this fraud that was unleashed on the American people. Uh, continue. So if Pfizer couldn't get blanket protection, they just wouldn't send them the product to that country. Yes, and a case in point is in our own nation. So, interesting enough, they're not requiring illegal aliens to take a vaccine. Mm. Um, wow. Why? Well, because illegal aliens would have access to international courts. So, oh. if they're injured, wow. um, if they're injured, because they're not, they're under our government protection, but they're not under government sovereignty. Right. So, they would have access to world um, courts to be able to say, I was injured by this vaccine. Yes. And so... And so let me just tell, uh, say one thing. To, uh, the lawyers will find this highly fascinating, and I'm not going to go into any depth here because it's, it's probably the most technical aspect of my research, and that deals with the PrEP Act. Okay. But the PrEP Act requires, it mandates by law, 100% voluntary participation in EUA products or what's called a, a, a medical countermeasure, okay? Mm-hmm. 
or MCM is what it's called. It requires 100% voluntary participation, not just at the individual, but every person involved, whether you're the manufacturer, the distributor, um, the healthcare practitioner, you're required to volunteer to participate. Why is that? Because they give blanket immunity to all parties involved. And so Congress, not Congress, but the Supreme Court, all the way back to 1803 on Marbury versus Madison, declared that you ha- if you have a right, an individual has a right, and that right has been violated, courts are required by the Constitution to provide relief or remedy. So if you are injured by one of these products and the Congress has said that you can't have a relief, how do they justify that with those courts? Right. Well, it's justified by the fact that you are made aware of the benefits, the risk, and the environment, and you were they promised you that you would be under no outside coercion to participate. Therefore, quote-unquote, when you volunteered, you knew the dangers inherent to the program, and if you were damaged, that's how they are able to give immunity, yeah. because your rights to refuse were protected up front. So this is a danger when you have state governments and schools and hospitals like UC Health requiring participation. They violated the scope of authorization. They violated the principles of the PREP Act. They required mandatory participation through coercion and through removing your living wages, which I can't tell you how many laws of that aspect alone violated. Yes. And so the, the, the legal community... I am not exaggerating. I have, I've had probably 50 conversations with lawyers across the nation. Um, some are your mom and pop shops to those who are very well established. Yeah. They knew none of this. Yeah. This is all brand new to them. Right. And just assume they would have the coverage. Everybody's got their back. You know, that brings me, though, Brian, to our next point. So people hearing this, they're starting to say, OK, well. Yeah, they did that to me. I was coerced. I, I see the text line saying here they didn't actually end up uh, making me do it, but they began to strip benefits. Um, they began to discriminate. So what does a person do that now says, well, yeah, that is exactly what happened. I was coerced, threatened, um, you know, or, or in fact, eventually fired. What's the next step for that person as they start to say, OK, I get this. I'm starting to all to move forward. What do they do as a, as a citizen? Well, as a strategist, I'm going to give you an answer. Okay. It is too hard, in my opinion, based on my involvement across this nation, okay? Even in very, very red districts yeah. um, where people are fired up over this issue. It's too difficult for an individual to go to an attorney and say, I want you to read this document. I want you to um, engage this lawsuit. What genuinely needs to happen is that a group such as the uh, the CHP group in yep. Colorado, yep. Uh, they need to get some lawyers together. There needs to be some funding for it, and we need to be able to have the group capacity to move forward and start setting and establishing court precedent. Once you have two or three lawsuits established and you have the legal briefs reading, written and you have the oral arguments given, I'm just I'm telling you right now, you will have 50,000 trial lawyers who will smell blood, yeah. and they will say, I want a piece of this. Yes. Because we're talking significant. We're, I can't describe to you the tens, the $100 billion plus that's waiting to be made wow. um, from these lawsuits. Uh, you know, in Colorado, a number of uh, citizens from 
UC Health and United Launch Associates, for example, those are mm-hmm. the two, and Boeing and Kaiser, um, reached out to me. Um, they said, Brian, I've read your research. I'm ready to go. Uh, problem is, is getting attorneys um, on board, and that requires training. That requires education. And so, I, you know, I want, I want to make sure that the community, I don't want them to, to look poorly on the legal community. I want to make that very clear. Yeah. Um, lawyers, again, you know, the whole idea of interchangeability, they didn't know the legal distinctions, and they didn't even know how to pursue and research it. Right. Um, for example, most lawyers, when they go into a courtroom, they will argue the Nuremberg Code. Right. Because it's the only thing that they know of. Well, the Nuremberg Code doesn't have the force of law, but the Belmont Report, is when you read my product, uh, my publication, you'll understand its significance. Yes. It has the force of law. It is codified in all 50 states, and UC Health is under federal law to comply with it, and they have violated it like you can't imagine. Right. Um, you, uh, you, your, your medical institutions and, and employees acting uh, under the color of law because they work for a government institution, those are the two. Um, that uh, are, are at greatest risk of significant remedial actions by courts. Yes. Because I just can't describe to you the volume laws that they violated. So could I, would it be fair to say if, if uh, oh, a handful of government, local government employees were let go, that's a group. That group could start maybe at seven or eight participates, participants. Yes. And here we go. Okay, so this is good. Now, folks, this is what we're trying to do. Because, see, if there's no hope at the end of this COVID catastrophe. Um, All is lost and this gets worse, not better. Our guest, of course, Brian Ward, covidpenalty.com. I urge, I urge, I urge the listeners to get in. It is a it's a perspective-changing document. It, 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 it put us back in control. That's exactly what I think about when I read this stuff. So what's then, so are, are our listeners, are they able to connect with you through the website? Kind of give us the next step. Hey, Brian, I think I have a case, or what do I do? And they just want to start to feel out the process. Can they go directly to you on the website? What do you think? Yes, absolutely. Um, but let me just clarify and give a disclaimer. I'm not a licensed attorney, and I'm not, I mean, I project yes. myself as one. Um, I am acting as an expert consultant with law firms to help them, okay, on behalf of these uh, plaintiffs. Mm-hmm. And so you get into another section of law called the American Bar Association Rules, and so I want to make sure we're covered. No worries. Um, and so, but let me just make this one statement, yeah. because this statement is definitive, and there's, there, it's irrefutable, and the statement is this. An individual has the right to refuse the administration of an EUA medical product without incurring a penalty or losing a benefit to which they're otherwise entitled. That statement is irrefutable by statute. Mm. Employers engage in discriminatory acts against their employees for exercising a federally protected right. That is both criminal at the federal level. If a federal prosecutor wanted to come in and, and to charge them, they could. Um, if you are a hospital, I just can't describe to you the level of violations that they right. incurred in doing that. So the, for, the thing that I really, really encourage everybody in Colorado to do is go to COVIDPenalty.com, um, read that document, both documents. One is DOD-specific, but half of it deals with the agency malfeasance um, with the FDA and CBER. Um, educate yourself, and then mm-hmm. step away for a couple of days and then read it again. It's too much yeah. information to digest in yes. one setting. Um, and then allow your heart to determine how to move forward. Okay. Um, and, and we just need a list of lawyers. We need lawyers who say, hey, I'm willing. Right. I'm willing to make this happen. 
our soldiers are being hurt and injured, and, and they seem to be a prime category, a target that was obviously there was violation there. Um, they were not able to get a hold of Comirnaty either in the service, right? Still an experimental product, and, and the same laws applying, but almost uh, what they did to the military, is it more egregious, or is it in the same line as what they did with civilians, uh, just Department of Defense and whatnot? No, it's more egregious, in my opinion, because okay. in the military you have what's known as the Ferris Doctrine, Mm-hmm. That's a Supreme Court precedent established in the 50s, and it basically makes it impossible for a service member to sue the military, even if the military was wrong, even, mm-hmm. if, the, even if the injury was a result of intentional wrong. It makes it exceptionally difficult. Jeez. So now there's criminal aspects of what's going on in the military, and that's because the FDA allowed um, and asked um, uh, uh, Pfizer to list some of these products as BLA approved or BLA compliant. And right now, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to shock you. Yeah. In the military, there are vials that have a Comirnaty label with the Comirnaty identification number, the, the NDC is called, circulating in the military. But the CDC, when you look at the lot numbers, the CDC has declared that these are actually EUA products. Mm. They're not Comirnaty. <laughs> So how Jeez. is this happening? Well, when you, there's a number of court cases where the Department of Justice is, you know, um, protecting the actions of the Department of Defense. They have called these. They won't call them licensed products, mind you. They call them BLA-approved, Comirnaty-labeled products. <laughs> so we believe that in Europe, you're allowed to use a marketing name even when the product is under investigation. In America, you're not allowed to do that. So we believe that these products were brought in from Europe, um, and they are actually EUA products. Um, and it's about 60,000 vials, if I remember correctly. Jeez. And the purpose, these showed up. <laughs> this is this will help you to understand the malfeasance. These showed up at the moment this past summer when courts started ruling against the DOD. Wow. And so what they're doing is they're trying to pretend that these are actually licensed products. Therefore, they can mandate the use of them. Unbelievable. I mean, this yeah, goes deeper than most bad. folks, I think, are willing to take their minds. Part of this, and of course, Brian Ward from COVIDPenalty.com, you've got to take your mind to some uncomfortable places when it comes to this COVID vaccine, the COVID shot, whatever. It's certainly not a vaccine. We've heard that this morning. It's not preventing that disease. But, you know, the truth is this was a fraud laid upon most people. Some people got hurt uh, physically, financially. I'm reading from the texture here, Brian. Uh, we've got a uh, we've got a pharmacist chasing down my 80 something year old mother in law saying you need the covid your age indicates. I mean, this is crazy. The yeah, behavior is not mongering. It's it's so sad. Yeah. And, and to be able to be strong enough to say to these people who have this authority, whether it's your boss or your doctor, or whoever, like, no, that that's hard. It's it's hard. Brian, what I love what you said and gave the listeners, at least as a piece of defense, you've armed them. I love this piece. It says it is illegal to promote an EAU, uh, excuse me, an EUA as safe and effective because I've heard that. word. So, just, hey, just so you know, just to educate yourself, pharmacist, doctor's office, especially when we got this in six months old kids, um, you're actually doing an illegal thing because that drug that you're recommending is an IND and it's illegal to promote it as safe and effective. We don't know if it's safe and effective yet because the FDA hasn't finished yeah. its thing. Um, Brian, I can't thank you enough for coming in uh, for this hour and really getting into the heart. We're getting response. We're 
we're getting activity. And that was the whole point of this thing, is if you've survived to this point, you know, because some of these shots people don't get a chance to return from. They can be dead within 96 hours or, you know, we see another round of deaths around five to six months. Whole different set of circumstances there. What's something, just leave our listeners with that last little bit of next, here was, here's where we go from here if you would, and then we'll let you get on with your day. We appreciate your time, Brian. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Um, it's very gracious of you. Thank you. Uh, you know, I just, I want to encourage people that, you know, it's hard for a nation that is civil to be introduced to an uncivil process. Yeah. It's hard for us to make that next step. Um, we don't know how to adjust easily. We still want to go on with our lives, even though we're prohibited from doing so. Mm-hmm. The next step is that you need to have courage okay. to read this document, to take that next step, to call that attorney. I can't tell you how many people have said, Brian, I've never dealt with legal stuff in my life. This scares me. Listen, the attorney that you talk to will be on your side. You know, go to an employment attorney, go to an administrative attorney, go to a trial lawyer attorney. Let them read the documents. They'll have plenty of questions. They can connect with me. I can be the expert consultant. Um, We can get the legal brief filed. You can get your rights restored. And I promise you this. We get a dozen of these lawsuits filed in the state of Colorado. Mm-hmm. The fear of God will return to the state. Yes, that's right. I like the way you worded it, Brian. You said legal Armageddon uh, is about to get unleashed. And I believe every word of that. And I think the impact of that is going to be profound. There, that's the moment in which, you know, this can never happen again. We lost millions of people as a result of this fraud. And we know it has much more nefarious um, long-term agenda. We've seen, you know, just heartache after heartache and now to know that there's potentially legal remedy out there a a way to seek recompense for most people they thought they were doing the right thing they were ignorant so that's partly on them but for the most part they thought they were doing the right thing their doctor told them that they'd been with for 25 years how many times has this happened 25 years oh yeah this thing's safe and effective i think it's a good vaccine i think you should get it um there was no consent there was no drug data sheet there was none of that and so the hope and i love encouragement i love bravery we start our morning every morning here with bravery that's what we say on the show uh it's going to take everybody getting a little uncomfortable for a little stretch of time it is worth every moment uh i promise you that so i want to tell our listeners get to covidpenalty.com brian ward i thank you god bless you for what you've done you and i will continue to be in touch we'll have you back of course we think we can get some some groups together and really start to take back our rights here i thank you so much brian we appreciate it thank you so much for having me today god bless y'all thank you sir there he goes. Ooh. So that's Brian Ward. I mean, that's impactful, right, folks? That's You're going to have Brian to listen Ward. to this again. Again, fully this is the number it. one thing I want folks to do. I want you to leave <clears throat> this broadcast, go read the document, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, then replay the podcast. Yeah. Okay. We've got the website. Okay. You've done a wonderful job. You can get our podcast there. You can get our live stream there. All that stuff right then and there. And we simply start to take action. I mean, there's some people, there's a couple hundred grand, if not more, sitting for them. Yes. Because they said, oh, if you don't do this experiment, uh, you're fired. Okay. Operation Warp Speed. And we've talked about Donald Trump. I mean, that he is he is in the on the hook for some of this. What we encourage Donald Trump to do, because we love him, we pray for him, and we think he is uniquely capable of defending off, warding off the the maniacs of the swamp. But you've got to denounce this vaccine. I mean, there is no scenario. And again, we'll take calls next week on it. Um, If you can defend this vaccine as safe and effective, please call, because now we know legal statute, uh, clinical data 
All these things say it's exactly the opposite. In fact, it's such an experiment. It's illegal to call it safe and effective. That is unbelievable to me. We heard it over and over on TV and all these places. My goodness, that was a good hour, Shemay. Okay, that was. I was like drinking through a fire hydrant. Yes, yeah, you're right. A lot. You're taking it all in. I was. He says, read it, step back. Come back to it and say, you know what? I think I'm ready. So you can connect with the Matthew Dark Show as far as the setting. I am pro- in the process right now of same thing, in- interviewing these attorneys. Mm-hmm. And I want to do matchmaking. You call with a case or you email with a case. We want to connect you. We, he said it. You get a couple of these things going, ladies and gentlemen. And it's, uh-oh, what's happening in Colorado? We encourage Phil Weiser, Attorney General of Colorado. We, enc- we encourage the governor to come on these airwaves, have this discussion. Talk about what we've done to people, the laws we've broken. Let's put people back together. Let's make sure government never, ever, ever thinks they have the right to do this again. Yeah. We must stay on it. They, they had law in place for 40 years to pr- protect us from this exact scenario, and they just blew right past it. They didn't care. They didn't. Okay. We've blown through an hour. What an impactful hour. Yeah. We're back. Monday. Okay. Oh, we we break. step away. Yeah. So text us, email us, get to the website, the podcast. It's all there. Social folks. media. And yeah. the social media is alive and well, folks. We're back in the game. Remember this until next time. Serve God, help others, stay good. Ooh, goodbye. with the show on Instagram at the Matthew Dark Show or send an email to the Matthew Dark Show at gmail.com. Missed a show? Download any episode on Spotify. The Matthew Dark Show, live Monday through Wednesday at 9 a.m. on KLZ 560.